Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from the place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why do you bring us out of Egypt to make us, to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Alleluia, and I want to welcome you, a special welcome again to all of our Little Blessings families. We're so glad you're here with us today, and uh, looking forward to the next few minutes with you in a time of looking at Scripture together and uh, launching into the series uh, that we started last weekend. But before we do that, how many of you watched part or all of the Super Bowl last week? Raise your hand. That's, I'm going to call that a majority. Um, I have written proof and verbal proof from members of this church uh, as we were talking about the game after worship last weekend that I predicted the Patriots would win by 10 points. I know I told some of you, I've seen some of you, and some of you are nodding, I, and, and it's, not be, it's not because I'm good at that. People who know me and my sports predictions know I'm most often not correct, but for some reason I just knew that was going to happen, and if you ask me why, I says, if you ask me why, I had biblical support for my prediction. In Jeremiah 25, 34, we read, For your time to be slaughtered has come, you will fall like the best of the rams. <laughs> so I knew it. We're in a sermon series, if you're just joining us today, that we launched uh, last weekend, uh, called uh, Made Perfect in Weakness. And last week, um, we talked about a springboard text from St. Paul's letter uh, to Christian believers in the first century in Corinth, uh, the, his second letter in uh, the 12th chapter, the ninth verse. Let's take a look at the screen. might be a little hard to read. The grace and power are uh, uh, the gold color, but... If you can read that with me, let's read it out loud together. Here we go. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. St. Paul is writing this to first century believers in Corinth, but it's God who's telling this to Paul. Paul is hearing from the Lord, the Lord saying to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace. God's riches. At the expense of his son, Jesus. 
who died on a cross for your sins and mine to wash us clean of our sins and promise us the gift of eternal life, the gifts of grace, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his peace, sufficient for you. And he goes on and says, because my power, God says, is made perfect in your weakness and my weakness. What is God saying? Play with the metaphor with me here of a glass of water. And, and, and let's say the glass being full is your perfect. Okay, anyone here have a full glass? Okay, so me either. So the water that's not filling up to the top, the gap, that represents the weaknesses in our lives, the, the things the Bible would call sin, the things we do wrong and say wrong and think wrong that aren't God's will for our lives. And this scripture saying, God comes along and says, I see your glass is half full. My grace is sufficient. My power, I, my grace and my power, I'm going to pour those from my pitcher into your glass and I'm going to fill it to the full and it's going to pour over. Speaking of that, last weekend we launched a series we talked about when we sin, when we make mistakes. We talked about the Lord as a host. A host who welcomes you into their home. A host who says to you, I know you're, you're, you're one who makes mistakes. I know you're not perfect. I know you do things that aren't, aren't right. And I, I want to welcome you as a host, the Lord says. I want to pour oil over your head, the oil of grace and love and mercy. I want to I wash your feet. Jesus takes a towel with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross and he, he shows them uh, physically what it means to, to be a servant. God in flesh is washing the feet of his followers. The host, the Lord says, I know you make mistakes. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I will fill your cup. I will love you to the full. It will spill over. If you let me, come in. I want to be the host. Today we're going to um, jump back into the Bible, that the text we just heard read from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 17. Um, if you're visiting us today, we're in the Bible a lot here. We, we, we preach and teach uh, from the Bible, so um, don't feel bad if you don't have a Bible with you. I'll read it, what's here to you, but if you, if you want, you can use a, a Bible app on your phone or you can get up and grab a Bible from the Bible racks in the back of the worship space. This is the second book of the Bible. It's chapter 17. Let me set the context as you're turning there. You may know the story of the Israelites being in slavery in Egypt. And Moses leads them out with the hand of God. They've been slaves for 400 years. And finally, Pharaoh in Egypt's had enough. Because Moses kept saying, let my people go. And finally, Pharaoh says, all right, go, go, go. I can't take it anymore. Go. He changes his mind. Pharaoh has his armies follow them to the edge of the Red Sea, and God miraculously leads them across the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And we pick up the text. The whole Israelite community, verse 1, set out, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. God is leading them. God is choosing their path. God is their GPS for this journey. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Verse 2, so they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? 
But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. This is the prayer of every senior pastor at some point in their ministry. The Lord answers in five, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile River, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So Moses struck the rock and water came out. They were suffering. They were thirsty. In chapter 16, they were suffering. They were hungry. They didn't have enough to eat, and God provided. And now, in the middle of the desert, in an oasis, Moses strikes the rock, and they're nourished for another day on their journey of suffering and wandering in the wilderness. The Israelites knew all about suffering. Make no mistake about it. They knew all about suffering, and so do we. They knew what suffering meant. They knew what it meant to be slaves in a foreign land for four centuries. They knew what it mean, meant to be persecuted. They knew what it meant to not have a home. They knew what it meant to be out in the desert wondering where their next meal would come from, wondering where their next drink of water would come from. They knew what it meant to ask the question, is God with us or not in their suffering? They knew suffering, and so do we. So do we. It's 2019. I mean, the year has changed, but the suffering remains. You're in the desert now, or you will be. A relationship is broken, and you're wondering, what's the next step? Someone in, in your own family is hurting. And you hurt too. You're mourning. And it stinks. You're at work and there's rumblings of a restructure and you're not sure what that means for you. Or you're transitioning jobs and, and you're dealing with the stress of that. You're suffering financially. The bottom line gets redder and redder. The doctor gave you a diagnosis for someone you love and your lives will never be the same. Suffering comes. Suffering is part of life. And if that's the case, isn't it fair to ask the question what the Israelites asked, is the Lord among us or not when we suffer? And if he is, what's he doing? When I'm suffering in my life, where is God? Where, what is he trying to do in my life? What is he teaching me? Where is there a blessing in that? Does he even know what it feels like? Does he even care about me? And the Israelites asked those questions out in the desert and so do we. 
I'd like to share just a couple, three things for you to think about. Lessons from the desert. And the first one is, God is gifting us with the spiritual gift of patience. I know that might be a different angle into this topic for you, but stay with me for a little bit, if you would. In the desert, I learned patience. Kathy and I, my wife, we rocked a 2003 Forest Green Dodge Grand Caravan Sport. In the spirit of the auto show, I thought I'd do that today. How'd I do? Did I do that okay? We put over six digits of miles on this baby. Kids came home from the hospital. We traveled the whole country. We did a loop almost coast to coast in this thing. We cleaned up children's fluids in this thing. I don't know if it was sold for parts or if someone's still driving this, but if they are, there are still goldfish in this vehicle. (laughs) And we traveled mile after mile after mile in our own family truckster. And I have to say, the one question that came from the back seats over and over again from our children as we were traveling to our destination, and that question was, are we there yet? No, we're not. We can play the little games. We can tell them we we're going to be, you know, we're one movie away. We're one movie away. But let's just be honest. No, we're not. We're not even close. So zip it. The Israelites asked that question of Moses often, I bet. You see, they weren't just wandering. They were on a journey to the promised land. They were on a journey to the land God promised Abraham, their forefather. They were on a journey to the land flowing with milk and honey. Not the desert that's dry without food, but the land flowing with milk and honey. They were on their way. And I want to show you two maps about patience. The first map is the map that they would have taken if they took the direct route. And you see on the left, they were in Egypt as slaves, and they should have gone that way. It was a very common road to take. It was actually known as the way of the sea. Four to six weeks, tops in caravan, after leaving slavery in Egypt. Now I'm going to show you the route they took. And it took 40 years. Not four weeks. 40 years. Patience. You'll get there. The destination is promised to you, God says. You'll get there, but it's my path. It's not yours. We want God on our timeline. We want God in our own way. We want God to be the genie in the bottle for us. And when we rub it, he comes out and we get three wishes. But it doesn't work that way. God has a plan. There's a journey for us. And it includes suffering at times. And what's he doing in that? Well, the first thing is he's teaching us patience. Are we there yet? No, we're not. But God's promises are true and we will get there. 
In the desert, I learned patience. No matter how long the desert journey is, I will trust you, God. In the desert times, I will grow my gift of patience with you because of your grace, because of your love. God's way is rarely the easiest route. It's rarely the quickest route. But it's always God's route. And there's patience to be learned there. We all want to be more patient, but very few of us are willing to suffer to learn exactly what that means in our relationship with God. The second lesson from the desert I think the Israelites learn, and we can too, is in the desert God grows my faith. When uh, my dad taught me to ride my bike, uh, it was a stingray with a banana seat, big handlebars. And uh, this is a profound memory for a lot of us as kids and maybe as parents uh, too when we teach our kids this moment. And my dad, uh, as I am on the stingray ready to go, it was the bike I inherited from my brother Mike who inherited it from my brother Dave because I was the youngest and I got all their junk. So that's how that worked. And I'm on the stingray with my banana seat, high bar in the back, big handlebars, and here we go. My dad had his hand on the seat, on the bar in the back. But I wasn't quite sure as we got going when his hand was there and when it wasn't. And we kept going, and then finally he, he let go, and I skinned my knee on first attempt. Yeah, I wasn't one of those kids who was blessed with balance, and it was like, oh, right away, great. Uh-uh, a couple, three times. Lose my balance, get my feet on the ground. Dad comes up, jogs up behind me, grabs the seat again, starts running again. <laughs> Poor guy. And finally, let's go again. And finally, I got it. Finally, I figured it out. Finally, I had the faith in the ability to do this. And knowing my dad was still there, but I, but I was riding it myself, and I had broken away. I said, Dad, why did you do it that way? Why did you hold the seat sometimes and let go sometimes? And, and, and why did you let me skin my knee? And he said, well, Butch, because my brother was Dave and my other brother was Mike and I'm Tim and he never remembered our names right so he called us all Butch. He said, Butch! He said, Butch, I, you had to learn on your own. You had to have faith. You had to trust that I was there and I wasn't going to let anything happen to you but there were times when I'd hold the seat and times when I wouldn't. And he said, and plus you're 25 years old. It's getting ridiculous. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, go, ride. In the same way, God tells you and me in our suffering in our desert times, I'm there. And sometimes I'm, I'm holding on and sometimes I'm letting you go. And in that relationship with me, God says, you're going to learn to have faith in me. I'm going to grow your faith that I'm there for you and I'll be there for you. And when you skin your knee, I'll help pick you back up and I'll, I'll be there for you. My promises are true. So that's the second thing. The last thing this morning is I learned to love God just because he's God. Oh, it's easy to have faith and love God when the weight is down and the portfolio bottom line is up. The dog always runs happily to see me. 
the, the, it's easy to have faith when my friends have surrounded me. It's easy to have faith when, when my kids are as perfect as uh, we pretend them to be on Facebook. I mean, uh, the, life is easy and faith is easy that, then. But what about in the desert? What about when we're wandering and suffering? How easy is it to have faith then? How easy is it to love a God who seems so distant, who allows the suffering in our life? Well, the desert taught the Israelites to love him all those 40 years until they reached the promised land just because he's God, not because of the milk, not because of the honey, because it wasn't there for those years. In our lives, when the good stuff from God isn't there, how do we act? We sang a song this morning, the second one. It's a familiar old hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. I want to tell you the backstory of that real quick. Horatio Stafford wrote the lyrics to that hymn. He was a Chicago businessman, and the fire in 1871 wiped him out. Penniless. So he had to regroup and started looking for new business ventures. In 1983, or excuse me, 1873, trying to regroup and just needing a break, go back to his homeland, his home, home place of Great Britain. He, he said, uh, you know, we're going to get a, a, a boat and then my wife and my four daughters and I are going to go back home and we're just going to get a break from all this. It's, I've been, the grind has been crazy, the suffering from losing everything I had and all that. The day before they were going to travel by boat back to Great Britain, Something happened with his new business venture, and he decided to stay back. His wife and four daughters went on the boat to go back home. It was struck at sea. It sunk in 12 minutes. In a few days, he received a telegram from his wife. Two words, saved alone. His four daughters, dead at sea. Immediately, he takes a boat to Great Britain to join his wife. And at the very spot in the ocean where that ship with his daughters on it was struck, he pens the lyrics to that song we sang. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's loving God just because he's God. That's trusting in the promise of eternal life. That's knowing, even though it feels like God let go of the bike, he's still there. That's knowing in our suffering, he's still God. And things may not turn out the way we want. The suffering may last longer than we predicted or desire. But there is a God 
who wants to teach us patience, who wants us to grow in faith, and who wants us to love him just because he's God. Because he, as God, took flesh in Jesus, and he took the hard way with the cross. His last journey was a journey from the temple to the cross of Calvary where they crucified him. He took the form of a servant to pay the price for our mistakes that we could never pay. He didn't take the easy route. He was flogged before he was put to death. He was put up on the cross in pain and humiliation for us. We say, where is God in our suffering? Look at the cross. That's where God is when we suffer because he suffers with you. He knows suffering. He knows pain. He knows tears. He knows agony. He knows what you're going through. He cares about you. So if you are in the desert, don't give up. Because the God who loves you went all the way to the cross. And when you find yourself in the desert, he loves you. He has promises for you of forgiveness and eternal life. Where is God in our suffering? He's right there. And he loves you. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. May we pray? God, thank you for being a God who loves us. And that human suffering does not ebb and flow with that love you have for us. Your love is constant. Your love is unconditional. And you will to deliver us, Lord. Even after death itself, you promise the gift of eternal life. Even in our deepest sin, you promise us forgiveness. Lord, lead us on a journey where we grow in faith and where we learn to love you just because. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen.